at a certain point, like the business people behind the fashion scenes realized that they could keep the image and like kind of cheapen the quality of the clothes and sell more and make more money. And you had this sort of mass trend to like bring the quality level of clothing down in order to like extract profit in that way. So it was like create an image and it didn't really matter how good it was as an actual product. And so we came along and we were sort of outsiders, but we, we had this very instinctive feeling like the product is not as good as it should be like we want to buy better made clothing better thought out better constructed clothing so we really um came in and, and kind of pulled back and went back to the materials and we're like what's the best material for this not the most cost efficient material that will execute an idea You don't really need to know what Outlier does to have a general gist of what they represent. They're about innovation in clothing and about creating products that bring a lot of value into this world. It sort of pushes against the general grain where clothes are either about fashion and hype or they're about basic protection. In many ways, Outlier is about bridging that gap. So I was looking back at some old emails and pulled up my first ever correspondence with Outlier. It was in 2007 or so. Back then, I was starting my professional career in publishing. So it's a cool feeling to look back around and see who's still around and what they're doing. All right, let's see. Well, so my name is Abe Burmeister, founder and creative director of Outlier. I'm Tyler Clemens and co-founder, Outlier, currently CEO. So a small tidbit. Outlier was actually the first story we ever did on Macon. At the time, we didn't have mics and we couldn't even properly record the conversation. So it was a nice opportunity to revisit Outlier and to see what it is about the way they approach business that has allowed them to hit the 10-year mark. I met with them at their Brooklyn studio on Richardson Street. The area is virtually unrecognizable since the last time I visited. The gentrification is real. A few years ago, the area was fitting of Outlier which in many ways was a brand focused on a certain core within its product. And it didn't really have any sort of facade. Now it seems a bit out of place, should you not have known they were there before things had popped off. The rickety old studio occupies a few different rooms and multiple floors. The worn floorboards creak and you can hear them periodically as you step over them. It's a strong contrast against some of the world's most unassumingly advanced materials and clothes. So after exchanging our hellos, I get right to it. As a follower of Abe on Twitter, I know that I'm in for a pretty engaging conversation. With Outlier focused on product as a clothing brand, I naturally started the root. It's so very easy to denounce fashion and clothes for what it is. And I opened with the question, what are their thoughts on the current state of fashion? I'm pretty excited. I actually, I feel like there's, there's like a, an energy creeping, you know, it's like fashion's super cyclical, but, but you can feel like there's a lot of like kids out there, like chopping up their clothes and putting them back together and like small brands and labels and people experimenting. And that, that's the part that's really exciting to me, you know, on a more commercial level, it's in a little bit of chaos. It feels like there's been, you know, a shift away from sort of like world building and towards like product building. The whole idea of building a world or a narrative versus just a product is extremely interesting to me. 
It seems as though the fact that we move so fast as a world today means that we no longer have any time to properly build out concepts. I'm just not quite sure if it's right or wrong. The pragmatic side of me feels that the current consumer landscape just wants product and not worlds. The worlds that we end up living in are essentially self-created based on the products we identify with and we consume. But the romantic idea of fashion is that you're taking all these different details into consideration and you're bringing these ideas into a tangible reality. Abe goes on to further explain this idea of world building versus product building. You know, Marc Jacobs or somebody, you know, and they, they're going to make a collection and like it's going to be evoke a mood and it's going to be very cohesive and it'll suck you into a universe and then they'll go photograph it and, and create this kind of like fantasy space, right? And that was fashion for like, you know, Galliano, right? Like uh, McQueen, although he made amazing product too, right? And now you have much more, it's like, let's make a hit sneaker. Like, what does it take to make a hit sneaker for Balenciaga, right? Like, and so you got a lot of like, just, oh, let's try and make a hit jacket. Let's try and make a hit sneaker, a hit shirt. And um, so it's it's like much, much more tied to the actual products themselves. And the, the world is like a little more, well, in the world right now is more chaotic, right? Like you don't have this sort of cohesive fantasy. Like you, nobody's like, I want to go live in Balenciaga's world right now. Like it's not, it's just kind of chaos. Outlier has been selling direct to consumer since the start. Before it was a term that was an essential requirement for any modern day luxury brand. This has allowed them to own their own cycle, but they still can't ignore the fact at which the speed of fashion has accelerated. Outlier doesn't overlap at all with fast fashion like Azara, but oftentimes it's hard to ignore what the biggest players are doing. Tyler leads us off with his insights into the changing fashion landscape. You know, there, there are advances in construction and so technological advances from a material level are obviously going to change things. But, you know, when you look at the broader scope of fashion and everything, it's kind of all been done in some way before. But, but there are changes, right? Like, so I think one, you know, huge change is is the pace, right? Like, you know, fashion used to come on two collections a year, right? And there were sort of intermediate things and stuff that started filling in and that, that was part of like the pacing up. But when you had talk about fast fashion, you know, Zara delivers clothes in Europe on Tuesday and Friday, right? Like, and people know like that if they go to Zara on a Wednesday, they're gonna see something different than what they saw on Saturday, right? As a small side, I often look for these moments of tension between co-founders. It's a pretty interesting sight to see play out. On the surface, it seems as though they might be unprofessional, but having experienced it firsthand, it's nice to see this friction. Two people who call each other co-founders should be aligned, but conversely, there's something interesting in the entrepreneurial sense when two founders are trying to work out their different viewpoints openly no, no, that's fashion, right? That's how fashion is changing, right? And so it's the whole thing. And, you know, the internet is definitely part of it, right? Like, so that's part of the challenge. We're an internet company selling clothes on the edges of fashion. You know, making clothing does not work on a weekly basis. It like, it takes months and months. There's a lot of physics and, behind it that yeah, it takes, push against that. Especially, you know, when you, you know, there's stories like people be like, oh yeah, Zara does product in two weeks and there are isolated cases where it's true. But for the most part, they're, they're 
there's a lot of pre-existing parts that are already made that took months to make that are sitting there and then they can execute like the last bits in a couple weeks really quickly. So there's a, an interesting time dynamic that you have to deal with. The general feeling is that Abe and Tyler believe that there's a big opportunity in fashion. The biggest players are still relatively small in the grand scheme of things, and it's been helped by certain tools. There's a huge opportunity for people out there yeah. to like get online, bring something new to a whole new market of people that had never oh. seen it before. Or stay offline too. Yeah, I mean, even stay offline, but you know, before it used to be held by like, it was so tightly held by gatekeepers and it's really like that is, I think that is like- I, did, I actually don't agree. I think one of the beautiful things about like the Empower World is, you know, this is the second largest market in the world, right? Behind food. It's gigantic, right? So you have like the the global fashion infrastructure that, you know, goes through Vogue and the, you know, the, the trade organizations that, that organize the main fashion weeks and things like that but there's always been lots of space outside of that. And, you know, so the, like the biggest fashion Yeah, I guess you see street level bubbling yeah. up, and right? The, like the biggest, it's always been like that in, yeah. in a sense. And the biggest clothing companies in the world have about 1% of the market, right? You know, that's like your Uniqlo's and H&M's and Zara's, right? Gap, these, these guys all have about 1% of the global market. And there's like, you know, four or five of them at that space. And then below that, you know, there's people that have less. So there's huge amounts of room for like lots and lots of tiny brands. Um, and so there's room for people to find their own space and place. But there's lots of now they can have more exposure than before. Whereas before, you know, if you didn't get in the right magazine or something, it was much more difficult, right? To get uh, that exposure. No, no one's saying it's easy. People. <laughs> so some of the processes for outlier have been self-imposed they put a lot of parameters on what defines an outlier product sometimes it's easy to dismiss the superficial aspect of fashion or clothes but it still has an incredible ability to signal the right sneakers a particular shirt the wrong culture's dress they all play a part in the broader cultural dialogue Abe and Tyler are adamant that what they want to create is a constant work in progress. It's never a project that's quite finished and there's a chance to hit these diminishing returns. It doesn't really matter though. As a company that only answers to customers and not shareholders, the pursuit of perfection satisfies one key thing, passion. We love beautiful materials and like those materials have functions, but sometimes they, they also have expression, right? And they have character and passion. So when we make something, we want it to work really well. I mean, uh, we, yeah, I mean, we want to focus and be the the best we can be in the world at yeah. what we do. So right? we, we had the expansive play around period where we like did a blanket. We played around with some furniture concepts and things like that. And it was cool. And those ideas are like there and we might return to them at some point, but but right now, like our focus is like back to the core on the like really like the, the actual clothing items and really taking them to the next level. Cause there's, there's always, you know, we're never a hundred percent satisfied with any, anything we produce. Some things hit certain points of stability, but they're, they can always get better. Something precise in its execution requires a lot of iteration and fine tuning. But the start of that idea doesn't need to be so considered. The route towards perfection and product developments starts in a relatively simple fashion for outlier. And you know, like, is it 
does it trigger something new, right? Like we have this, the classic stuff that we've built that that's about, you know, that we keep making. And then we're trying to find things that kind of, you know, light up the brain, like, and like trigger, you know, like take us into new territories so that we learn. And if we get excited about it, then, you know, hopefully, and so far it seems to work, like other people get excited too. A quick look around the outlier office, and it's no secret that they love their books and the knowledge that comes within it. This is a while back. So, you know, when we were doing, I was doing a lot of the photos with Emiliano and, um, and for me personally, like I, you know, I was going on all these photo shoots and they, for me, they were becoming the same sort of output all the time. You know, we were taking someone out to a location, cool location, definitely, but they were just kind of coming out the same way. We had someone sort of like sprinting around and doing that sort of thing. And that, you know, that, that can wear on. And, and so like to really shake that up, we had to, to get me out of there and get someone else doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, we're really focused on learning. We love to learn and we want to make sure we build an environment where everybody's learning. So, you know, sometimes you get a point where you're not learning that much anymore. And sometimes you have to just grind through it because things have to get done, but we're, you know, constantly trying to put people in positions where they're learning and excited, you know, about something they're excited to learn about. And so, yeah, we'll hit like different periods and then it just means like, hey, why don't you try something different? Somebody else can take that on and kind of like um, shift things around a little bit. And as a small company, there's lots of opportunities to learn new things. But, you know, I've been thinking a lot about architecture and um, I get neo like, or like new brutalism, which is interesting. Like people have this idea of brutalism in their head of concrete and we've actually like kind of dug deeper and there's like a kind of ethical foundation that we talk about uh, the Smithsons, Allison and, and uh, it was Peter Smithson and, um, and then also Rainer Banham. Right. And so you're like, it's a lot of this like kind of building an ethic for like creating a new architecture that they were going through in the fifties and sixties. I spent a lot of time thinking about that lately and like, how do those apply to clothing? How do they apply to a business? And you know, there's, you're always just pulling through ideas and trying to figure out, you know, what, what makes sense. Tyler and Abe are never short on ideas, but it left me wondering, what's the intersection of rigor, talent, and passion? Are they talented at what they do, or is there something more there? You know, it's not about the idea. It's not about finding something, right? That's just the start. Like you, the, there's a lot of work behind it and people don't always realize it. And it's easy to get flustered or give up. Cause like, you know, you think like coming up with the idea or finding the material or something and you're done, but you really, you're only like 2% in, Exactly. you know, like you, like you gotta go bring to it go. through the factory and like bring it through quality control and get it to customers and then deal with customers concerns and sizing and returns and like the, all those pieces have to be built. We want people to be really happy with our stuff. So we put a lot of attention to all that. Bringing it to, you know, customers and everything is a ton of work. So you have to have like serious passion and rigor. So when, when you say talent, I feel like that is like a learned and build like built type of skill, right? Like we you really have to work at it to, to get, get something there. The parameters for an outlier product are incredibly demanding, but as a company, there's a further underlying ethical element they're interested in further exploring. 
As a registered B Corp business, Outlier maintains its for-profit designation, except it holds itself to a certain standard of social and environmental performance, accountability, and transparency. Patagonia is the most famous example of this, but at their size, not everything translates. You know, like we love Patagonia. We look at what they do and like what they, especially now, you know, they've really stepped up and they can do it partly because they're privately held and passionate and profitable. We'll talk about it. But then when I actually walk into a Patagonia store, I'm like, God, I don't want to buy any of this stuff. Right. And that's like this weird disconnect that, that I guess we're trying to fill. Right. Is like, where can the, that kind of ethics and commitment, like their product is optimized kind of for our lowest common denominator. And that means it doesn't really fit anybody, right? And it's big and boxy and like strange colors. And um, like, we wanna make stuff that that still like resonates on a aesthetic level and, and works so that like people can be excited about the product itself and the ethos at the same time. Whenever you build a company, sometimes the business school approach is to ask, what's your exit strategy? Sometimes there isn't one. The value you place on the actual process is something hard to put a dollar figure on. It's difficult to find something you're continually excited and passionate about, especially almost 10 years in. If you take a step back, it makes sense how Abe and Tyler kept on that certain path. A dedication to quality, an interest in innovation, and a passion for learning all contribute towards something that, with the right amount of challenge, can keep you creatively and mentally satisfied for some time to come. We're not built to sell the company. A lot of companies are built with exit plans in mind, right? You know, every day I come in here and I, I, I love doing what I'm doing. I like get to work with all these different people. And so there's no reason to change if you already love it. You know, that's the success metric that you're talking about is, is like, how much do we love it? How much are we wearing it? No, we want to keep doing it as, as long as it's feasible. And so as long as it's fun, then we're going to be pretty excited to do it. If you'd like to hear more stories like this one and more from the world of creative culture and beyond, check them out at Macon.com. That's M-A-E-K-A-N.com or search for us on your favorite podcast app.